Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. In this episode of Distribution First, I join John Azoni on his podcast to share the channels and distribution tactics that I'm currently running. I share tactical advice on choosing the right distribution channels, how to best repurpose content, and what's working for me right now as I distribute my content. Let's get into the show. All right, Justin Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. So your thing is content repurposing. Tell us kind of what your overall mantra is or just your your whole thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, at its core, I think most companies and even universities or whoever's creating content, most people are really good at creating content. We've been sort of over the last 10 to 12 years really drilled into all of our heads about content is king and you need content and you got to have storytelling and you got to you know, be able to tell a story with your content, all those types of things. We really understand that and get that, but we do a really bad job of actually getting the most out of that content. And so that's really where um, a lot of my stuff comes in at is trying to help companies. Uh, I work a lot with companies right now who are, like I said, really good at creating content. They probably have a couple of good pillars in terms of what they're doing. Maybe they have a podcast, maybe they have a, a really productive blog, but they struggle at getting the most out of that content where to distribute it, how to cut it up, how to repurpose it into different formats. And so I'm all about simplicity. And a lot of this stemmed from when I worked at a startup and I was went from having, and we can talk a little bit about this at some point, I had a content team of like 10 people at a previous role, went to a startup and I was a content team of one. And so you just learn to become scrappy and try to get as much out of the stuff as you can. So that's really sort of the genesis of where a lot of that stuff came from. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I love the whole topic of content repurposing because I'm a content team of one. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always like, a lot of people are, <laughs> you know, what's the fewest levers I can pull and get the most return from it. Tell me about your background with TechSmith and kind of your career and how, how you got to where you are today and starting your company. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I used to work at a company called TechSmith worked there for many, many years, over a, over a decade, and actually started there as an intern uh, on the sales team. I knew I didn't want to do sales, but I was like, hey, this is a good, solid company. I'm going to get in here. And they were awesome. 
you don't stay at a company for 10 years unless they're awesome. And I still have great relationships with everybody over there. Post pandemic just felt like I wanted to do something different and wanted to try something different. And so went and moved and started working at a company called Metadata and ran content marketing for them for just over a year. And then uh, this fall, they sort of just made the change. You know, I was I was one of the folks who got uh, laid off with a bunch of tech layoffs. And so it was like, okay, I can either go get another job or I can try to just start building my own thing. Threw some stuff out there and had a bunch of people respond and were like, hey, we need help with this. How do we do this? Can you come in and like supplement what we're doing? How do And just had a lot of good conversations around that. And so that's basically what I've been doing is building up the business here and working on strategy and working on execution for different teams and just helping people honestly just get more out of the stuff they're creating. You're pretty active on LinkedIn. I see uh, most of your posts. Is that, are you active on like other channels as well? Yeah. LinkedIn is my main one. That's where I've built probably the biggest audience at this point. I also have an email newsletter that I send out every single week and, and write content for. So I have an audience there. And then as far as the other channel, like I'm okay at Twitter, like I'm trying to like get better at it. But like you said, I think as a one person team, you have to just be choosy in terms of what Uh, And this is another thing I talk about a lot too, in terms of like your actual channels, your distribution channels. And so I've just chosen to focus really on LinkedIn and Twitter for now. I mean, I would love to get on different channels at some point, but right now it's uh, how to pick and choose the ones that are going to be most valuable and how I can execute them in a high, like high deliverable way. Yeah, that's good. That's kind of where I'm at too, is just choosing something and sticking with it and just defining a groove and just continuing to kind of dig out that groove because otherwise it just... Spreading yourself really thin across all these channels that pop up and new uh, social media things pop up and it's like chasing all of those is just stressful. So it's like, wasn't there one that came out like I forget what it was called, but it was a couple of years ago. It was like some like audio, like you like audio thing. Yeah. Like, cl- in, like, Clubhouse. Yeah. Clubhouse. Yeah. I was just re- thinking about that. I'm like, whatever happened to that? Because I was I all stressed. Went, like, I oh. n- I, I'm proud to say <laughs> I never went into a single clubhouse in, in my entire life. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Me either. Yeah. It was like, a, it was like a hangouts sort of what, what, I don't know, for just audio or something. You just like audio hangout with people. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was weird, but I want to talk about kind of like your, your main driving sort of statement or whatever. I think I got this off your LinkedIn banner. Most companies hit publish and move on. I help you repurpose and distribute your best content. So expand on that for us. Talk about what m- most companies, like the, the idea of most companies hitting publish and moving on like what's what's the problem that you're seeing yeah i mean it's not it's not only a problem i'm seeing it's a problem i've experienced and that's where a lot of this sort of comes off of is traditional content strategies are built around content calendars or publishing calendars with separate sort of thoughts around distribution and what happens after we hit publish on this usually it will get like lobbed over the fence to maybe a social media marketer man or you know a manager or somebody like that or an intern like hey we could just post this new blog go put it on social media for us never works <laughs> because the social media manager is isn't tied in with the content or the intern doesn't know the why you did the messaging the way you did it and what the purpose of it is and so My whole drive is to get content marketers who traditionally are more maybe content creators or writers to think about distribution and to think about repurposing their content and how they actually get that in front of the audience. Because over 90% of content that people create will not show up on Google 
even though most people probably think when they create content, like, oh, I'll just put a few keywords in there and it'll rank. Like, oh, or Google, like somebody will maybe view this someday. Or how do we make this post that nobody is really thinking about? Like, it's maybe a thought leadership piece that you want to get out in the world. Nobody's actually thinking about that. But like, how do we, what keywords do we use to make people, you don't use keywords to make people think about that. You have to drive demand around those things right. and, and get get attention for it. So my whole thing is focusing on distribution first. And so thinking about in tandem with creation, before you even create the thing that you're thinking about, how do you plan on getting that in front of your audience? I mean, the most basic level SEO would be an easy one, search engine optimization. So you've got a post that you know is popular and you want to create something for it. The distribution for that is Google. And that's a very easy one-to-one. That's very traditional sort of marketing. Like you can create a piece of content and you can do enough on your end to then fingers crossed, hope Google ranks it and then hope people click on it. But other than that, you have you have to drive demand for the piece of content that you're creating. So if you're creating a product webinar for a brand new feature that nobody knows about, how are you going to get that in front of your audience? And then how are you going to communicate that with different audiences? Because your customers maybe requested that feature, so they might have a different take on it than somebody who's never tried your software and doesn't care about that feature necessarily. So it's taking all those things into account before you actually go to create the thing, because that's what ends up being a bit of a mess for folks is they create it. It might be an awesome piece of content. It sits on their archive. It collects dust. It never gets shared. It never gets used. Everybody internally knows about it, but everybody externally doesn't right. even know it exists. Yeah. Oh, I, I've seen that a lot. My whole career in, you know, working on, you know, corporate videos and things like that, especially, you know, especially kind of in that corporate world is the distribution is an afterthought. And so we'll spend all this time on a video and then check like maybe a year later on their YouTube and it's gotten like 62 views. And it's kind of a disappointment because it's like, well, what, what was the plan for that? Like, that was a lot of money. That was like per view a lot of money, you know, <laughs> Yep. and a lot of times when I will work with uh, organizations and we'll talk about, so where is this, how are you going to use this? It's often just kind of like a general tool. That's kind of what I found is that people use at least video as kind of like a hammer. Like I want to pay someone to make me a video and I want to just be able to use it in a bunch of different ways, but really it's just going to kind of sit there until someone is like, you know, thinks to use it or something like that, but very little um, working backwards from, from distribution. Give me an example of working backwards from distribution. What could that look like for somebody, for a, for a college that maybe has, you know, a blog article that they want to write, doesn't have to be video, just, you know, something like that. Yeah. A a blog article, I think working distribution first. So first and foremost is audience, make sure you know your audience, make sure you know your ICP, make sure you know who you're trying to target because then that will alter channels. But a lot of assumption in there, but I'm going to assume you know who your audience is and who you're trying to go after with your content. The first thing I always suggest is channels and narrowing down your channels and deciding where, where that is, like we talked about earlier. So in picking one and starting to get really good at one. So what most people tend to do that I talk to is, well, we'd really like to be on Twitter, but we know YouTube's a thing and maybe even TikTok and reels and but what about linkedin and how do we do all those things and the reality is you can't do all those things like or you can't do them all well each one is so individualized 
that you have to focus on each one individually or have somebody on your team who can focus on those things individually. Like you need to have a YouTube expert almost to be able to like do YouTube really, really well and have somebody who's like studying the algorithm, studying the platform, studying what titles really work, what thumbnails are like. That's a whole thing. That's totally different than Twitter and how to write threads and how to write hooks that pull people in. That's different than LinkedIn and how to, you know, each one of these things is so different. So pick one channel. So you've got your blog, you know, you want to write, what channel are you going to distribute that on? And then from there, once you have your sort of channel set, then you can kind of think through mediums. So I'm active on LinkedIn, but we'll use LinkedIn as an example. So LinkedIn, you can do a bunch of different formats. You can do slide carousels, you can do video, you can do uh, plain text posts, you can do images. So based on that one article you're writing, what are the, if you have images that are tied with the text, maybe you take that text, maybe you make the image ahead of time because you're thinking about that distribution first, you make that image so that it would look good on a social feed. You don't just throw some random image in there. You think about that ahead of time to say, oh, I can just instant, and then I can instantly repurpose the same thing. I don't have to create two images. I don't have to think about it. I know I'm going to do an image for this one. I'm going to show off how to do that, but I'm going to format it in a way that makes sense for, for social. And same with your, how you outline the actual post. When you outline a post, you can basically use your headlines as different subtopics for content that you can post on social media. And so you don't have to worry about like just throwing a link out and saying, Hey, we post a new blog. Here's a link. Take the section with the H1 and format that into a standalone piece of content that somebody could consume and learn the information on social. That's how I would think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's really good. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got uh, from a social media consultant was at least for LinkedIn, probably relevant for any platform is taking big ideas and breaking those into like much smaller posts because people will invest in a a quick win on social Mm -hmm. media might not you know, want to stick around or not, might not be in a place in their, in their day or in their schedule to stick around for a long teaching on how to tell a story or whatever it is. And that has been transformational for me because even with this podcast, I'm able to take, you know, each episode, I can take like nine or 10, you know, snippets and and break it out and then just link to the full episode. And it just provides quick wins for people. And that's, that's kind of like a whole strategy in itself, way, ways to get kind of just stretch the content more. Blog posts, I imagine, too. Yeah, creating those images that you can get out of blog posts. Yeah, creating different subtopics. But yeah, really thinking about one piece of content is probably so many more pieces of content. I heard somebody talk about it once like, and this is kind of how I view it, where it's like you see a piece of content and you get like x-ray vision where you can see all the possibilities in it. That's really what I want people to start doing is like to not just see a blog as a blog, but see a blog as the potential to be this, 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 so that you're not having to spend so much time, energy, calories thinking about like, what is the next piece of content we need to create for our audience it's creation less, it's distributing more and then doing that efficiently to where you're also being able to hit the same messages. It's a whole other side of this is like being able to be consistent with your messages because so many companies go so sporadic with what they're talking about because they try to produce so much content that they hit their top five and then like, well, what now what do we talk? Oh, well, I guess we can kind of touch on this topic or eh, we'll kind of go over here. And it's not like core to who they're trying to talk to. Yeah. And I, I find that too, that you run out of things to talk about. 
when you're trying to when you're trying to make big statements and that's a stressful place to be to constantly think about you know writing some big monumental thing and having it just be a one thing like one post or whatever and then right. moving on and like, now you got to think of a whole nother th- just you know people people just don't have the capacity really to spend they're not like full-time content writers yeah it's it's just thinking about it in a different mind it's just thinking about it with a different mindset in terms of short-lived campaign mindset kind of like hey we want our we want this message and we want to blast our network with it and we want to like become known for this thing well it's become known for something isn't a campaign that's who you are internally and then doing that consistently over time to where your audience then starts to know like and trust you for a certain thing and i've like seen this firsthand because i didn't talk about like content repurposing and distribution until a year ago but because i did it every day and learned about it and learned the nuances and was doing it myself and figuring out what worked and what didn't and what content was interesting and what content wasn't quickly i mean much faster than i ever anticipated people like oh yeah like you're the guy who helps with that stuff right like you're you know a lot and it's like well, I haven't been talking about it for that long, <laughs> but I've been doing it for a long time, but I hadn't been talking. So like that consistency of message, I think whether you're a company or whether you're an individual, really narrowing down on who you're trying to talk to and then what your topics are and just being consistent with that can, can go a long way. Yeah. And you talk a lot on LinkedIn about, you know, most people don't see the thing that you posted yesterday or whatever. And then I see people in the comments going, well, what happens if I'm posting the same thing and the same people are seeing the same message over and over again? And I'm like, well, that that does happen. And for me, like, I think that's me getting your content. I probably get the same type of thing said in a different way. But for me, I like it because I'm like, it's a reminder for whatever you're saying that day that fits within your message of repurposing content or, or reposting content or you're just staying in front of people. It's just it's sort of like having a coach in the, you know, in the corner saying, hey, like, don't forget what we talked about. <laughs> yeah. And people are so worried about, I think, alienating an audience or like making them annoyed or making them leave. But to be honest, if someone gets annoyed with content repurposing and distribution and how air content marketing, like any of those things that I talk about, they're never, ever going to want to work with me in any way, shape or form. So it's probably okay in my book that they're not actively part of my audience because the people that need to be in my audience are people that are interested in the things I have to say, the products that I sell and the services that I offer. Same thing for a company. If you if you sell a software that helps people in HR and certain HR people don't agree with your mission or don't like what you're talking about, they're never going to buy from you anyway. So it's better for them to not be there. Yeah. And you can bring on new people who believe in your mission and believe in what you're talking about and believe in what you're saying. Yeah. And that's so key to, I think, to define who you are on the on the platform that that you're on. I think that I see a lot of people. There's kind of like two ways. It's sort of like a personal life, you know, sort of like Facebook or whatever. It's like a it's just a personal sort of like document of my life, you know, things, things that are happening. I don't know that like most most of my Facebook friends aren't like a certain person on Facebook. I guess that's more so like LinkedIn or YouTube or something like that. But but a lot of people use social media as like, here's this thing I did, or here's this job we're hiring for or or whatever, and not thinking it thinking about it so much as what is my personal message that I want to bring to the world? Just say there's a huge difference between getting likes and getting 
people to buy your product. <laughs> it's dying maybe more now, but like I've been in meetings where it's been, how do we go viral with this? How does this, it's like, you're, if you're, if you're asking that question, you'll never get there. You're not going viral. You'll never get there. That's not, that's not the purpose. That's not how that, that's not how viral works. No, no viral content was like, this is going to be viral. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine anyway, but I think that's something to balance too, because you might get five likes, but one of those likes is somebody in market and then they go to your website and get a demo versus yeah. one that gets a hundred likes, but it was kind of fluffy. Maybe it was a meme and it didn't really drive any action. So it's like trying to find that balance. And one thing I think you're, that you're really good at that I'm clued into, because I'm reading this book called Hook Point by um, Brendan Kane. I don't know if you ever uh, heard about it, but it's he he talks about just, I mean, the whole book obviously is like hooking people on, you know, in the digital spaces and how there's so much less focus than there should be on what those opening like three seconds should be or that mm. opening sentence or whatever. And that's one thing I think that I've noticed that you're good at is your your posts always kind of bring me in and like kind of encourage me to keep reading. I think you have a good knack, like a good knack for like getting me to the next line, you know, which and so so talk about talk about that. Like what goes through your mind when you're marketing yourself and hooking people and trying to get them to read your whole message? Yeah, I love that. I think, and thank you, by the way, I do try, but it is, it's one of those things that I, I think regardless of what con, if you're doing a blog post, if you're doing a video, if you're, I mean, video in particular, if you're on YouTube, right? Like those first like 10 seconds oh, yeah. are so vital, yeah. but it's same, like the whole goal, think about you as an audience member on these social platforms, you're mindlessly scrolling. You're not a searcher. You're not actively looking for anything in particular. You're literally killing time just scrolling with almost no mindset at all and just right. waiting for something to call out to you to say stop and pay attention. And that's the goal of the hook, whether it's an image, whether it's a video, whether it's a thumbnail, whether it's a title, whether it's the first three lines on a LinkedIn post. It's like, oh, like I got to I got to stop and pay attention. And then, like you said, the goal after that is to then get them to read more, read each line, read the next line. And I'm, I'm like, I'd be lying if I said, like, I really thought through, like, the format. I think I've just written enough at this point. Like, after writing five days a week on LinkedIn for two years, you, three years, you just kind of get used to, like, the flow of how you format posts, or at least for me. But the whole goal is go from one line to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Like, that's, like, storytelling 101 is really just, like, bringing people in and then kind of, like, working them down through and trying to get them to the end point of me like, oh, okay, you know? And so, and and that's something I'm constantly trying to get better at, but I spend way more time on the hook than I do on the actual post. Absolutely. I think people really need to spend more time on the hook. And I actually started collecting hooks. Like I have two albums in, uh, two albums in my like photos app on my, on my phone, good hooks and bad hooks. And I just, ah. as I'm scrolling, and some, you know, Instagram ad is like, hey, digital marketers or whatever, or like they like whip around and like try to get your attention. I'll like, you know, I'll like analyze it. It was like, did that get my attention? No, I'm actually really annoyed. Like just because you like came at the camera really fast isn't like isn't a good hook. Like, you, <laughs> you know, and so I'll like screenshot these things and like keep record of them. I think it's really important to do. I really, really, really think that in 
content marketing, the hook is so important and it, and it really can define everything that comes after that in terms of engagement, because the longer, like things like the longer somebody stays on your post is the further that it goes. That, that goes for YouTube, Instagram. The longer somebody watches your Instagram ad, the further it will, you know, share with more people. But if you don't hook them in the first place, if your first line is, hi, I'm so and so from such and such business. Bye. You know, yep. <laughs> I don't care. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's becoming even more important when you think about like a YouTube shorts world where it's 60 second max for the video. So your first three seconds have to be captivating. Because if they're not, or TikTok or, you know, any reels, any of these sort of formats where it's just swipe, 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 swipe before you can find something interesting. So it's like that that first thing to get something in is going to literally make or break everything that comes after it. Totally agree. Especially for colleges marketing to what in the higher ed world we would call traditional students, people coming uh, kids, you know, kids. I don't know. They're kids to me coming out of (laughs) out of high school. I'm like the old man. I'm 38. I'm like, oh, these these youngsters, these they're just kids. They don't know. (laughs) Um, I'm 33 and I feel that same way. So it's okay. Yeah, (laughs) I feel less cool by the day. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Anyway, so I but yeah, like for I, I read part of it. I didn't finish the whole book, but it's a, it's a really good book called, I can't remember what the actual book is called. I can remember what the subtitle is called and it's marketing to Gen Z. And they, they did the author, you know, did these in-depth studies of people from Gen Z and how they scroll, like literally like went to, you know, these young people's houses and, and just watched them on their phones, how they interacted with stuff. And they said, it's like, she said, it's so amazing how fast kids will scroll through And it's been scientifically proven that their brains have actually like evolved to be faster visual processors with this whole iPhone, you know, Mm. revolution or whatever. So the fact that in her whole point, I forget the author's name, I'll put it in the show notes. The author points out that like that hook is so important, like that first three seconds, because it's even like down to like the millisecond that these young people are making a decision to watch something or not, you know, or listen to something or not. But once you do get their attention, I, I found it in, in a really interesting that she said that they will actually go so deep down that rabbit hole of learning more and more information. And so one of the things that I've kind of put into place for, for my business is making sure that there is a rabbit hole for people to go down and start to kind of binge content. Like a podcast is a good example, but even just like posting consistently on whatever social media platform because you know people can go go back through once you've hooked them they can kind of go back through your post and see wow what else is what else is this person talking about and stuff like that but and i like that advice like you you spend you should spend more time on your on your hook on your headline than (laughs) than anything else so i want to talk about some specific case studies one of them i got i think from your linkedin profile was you grew techsmiths organic blog traffic over 25% in the first year while cutting posting frequency in half. But first of all, did you, I don't know if you explained what TechSmith was. Um, if people have listened to the podcast for a little bit, they would have uh, listened to Andy, Andy Owens episode, who is from TechSmith. But in case they haven't explain to me what TechSmith is and then how you grew uh, that blog traffic. Sure. Yeah. I mean, TechSmith, uh, software company out of the, the Lansing, Michigan area, 
main products are Snagit and Camtasia, screen capture, screen recording, video editing. Like I said, I worked there for years. And so at a certain point, I had done probably dozens and dozens of different jobs in the content space at TechSmith when you're there for a decade, that kind of happens. And so I started on the website and then moved to blogs. And during that transition, I kind of took over a blog that was, we were posting twice a week, but not really with any purpose other than like the average blog post, you know, post two to six times a week. The more you post, the better you do. Like that was just kind of like gut feel and trend. But we were like killing ourselves to do that. Like we were trying to get like video editors to write blogs about video and trying to get people who made our tutorials to do it. And it was just all like all mm -hmm. on volunteer standpoint or get, you know, just yeah. get different people. We didn't have like at that point, I, I'm trying to remember, it's been been several years, but I don't even think we had like dedicated like writers for the blog. It wasn't like we had people who that's what they did was write blog content or do content marketing in that way. And so it was like pulling teeth. You were trying to like, they were trying to do an actual job and, yeah, then write this, and, the <laughs> and then write this blog post, right? And so it's like, of course it's, and they don't know SEO. They don't know, you know, any of the other stuff. And so it was like, it was all just this discombobbled thing. And so... I started learning more and more about SEO. It's probably 2016. And then just did full like site audits and audits of our content, what was working, what wasn't. And so a whole bunch of nitty gritty in there, but essentially how we got to the point where we were doing less, but doing better was just like efficiencies. So understanding which posts were going to rank the best, do more of those type of posts, get more people in, get more different types of posts. So like more middle funnel type. So I have this problem. How do I make a YouTube video? We've got a blog post that ranks on how to make a YouTube video that links to Camtasia and says, oh, hey, if you want to make a YouTube video here, we have a template, you can use it, da, da, da. So it's like this very quick and easy funnel to get people in to try the product. That's what we ended up doing was just building in this sort of like high density middle funnel content and then moving people through. It's not like a an earth shattering strategy, but that's how that's how we ended up doing it. We were not much more specific in terms of what types of posts we were doing and why we were doing them versus just like, yeah, it sounds like a good topic. I think we could do a blog on that. So any other stories stick out of maybe time where you've worked with someone, they just kind of had some aha moment or really turned their content around by repurposing? Yeah, I mean, I think one recently, we were just kind of talking about this, a different angle on it, but it's a very similar sort of story where they were doing a live show twice a week for their podcast and, you know, just started walking through it with them and asking them some questions and drilling into like the whys behind that and you know, you just start peeling, it's sort of like an onion, start peeling away the layers and you just understand like, oh, like, I don't know why we're doing two, like we just did and they were successful, but they're maybe not as successful now. And so, and then how are you getting that out to your audience? How, how much content do you need? You know, when you talk about like distribution first, well, LinkedIn, if you're doing, if your LinkedIn's your main channel, which it was in these people's case, like LinkedIn only really likes it if you post once a day, it's not Twitter. You don't need to post a hundred times. Like LinkedIn really only likes it if you post once a day because that post is going to carry out for several days. That's just kind of how the algorithm works. It's it's an odd algorithm in that way. And so if you post every single day on LinkedIn, that means you need seven pieces of content a week. That's not very many. So can you get seven pieces of differentiated content out of one hour long show where you're interviewing like four people and doing a roundtable? Probably because you could get one quote from each person and there's four. And so that, right. you know, so like you just start doing the math and it's like, oh, we cannot be busting our butt to have to do two shows with 
eight guests every week and manage it and do it like and so just cutting that down cutting that back starting distribution first starting figure out what you actually want to share on and what you actually need and then go from there and and really understand and focus on on what you want to create and how you want to create that and you're starting a podcast right or you have a podcast. I, am, I saw yeah. something that was like a waiting list or something. Yeah, the, I mean the so probably I don't know when this will launch, but it's okay either way. If people want to subscribe, it's going to be out there. It's it's called Distribution First, and it's literally breaking down all of the strategies and frameworks that I use to do this. And sometimes it'll just be me on a monologue, sort of just chatting and giving different frameworks. Other times I'm going to kind of invite my friends on and, and chat through how they're doing things as well. At different SaaS companies or their own startups and and see how distribution is working for different companies too. So yeah, distribution first, if you're interested in this and want to learn more, you can go to distributionfirst.co and that's where the, the podcast will be at. I find that this podcast is such a good content engine for me. It makes life so easy. And actually it's the opposite of like my hesitancy to start a podcast was, was because I'm like, ah, oh, like, you know, my job's then going to become like, you know, finding guests and like, you know, f- coming up with content ideas and things to say. And I'm an introverted, so I'm not great at talking to people, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. But like, I've, as I've gotten more comfortable with it, I l- just, love how easy of having a podcast makes life in terms of breaking that up into smaller pieces of content, seven pieces of content a week, like you said. Oh, yeah. No, I I think I think every business should have a podcast, but I think most businesses do podcasting wrong in two ways. The podcast is not connected to a core part of the business. So they might use it as a networking thing that, hey, we want to get in with we're going to interview CEOs. Because eventually then when they need X, Y, and Z, you know, they'll think of us because we interviewed them one time, but that doesn't really help their audience who is really using the product. The other, the other problem too, is a little bit, and and it's not wrong. It's just, it's something I've sort of realized as doing, working with these types of shows is interview shows tend to get your, like, you've got me on. So a lot of my thoughts are going to get out in the world on this podcast, but it doesn't get as many of John's thoughts out on the podcast. And so like balancing that out for a show, being able to get your thoughts out into the world and how you see these things and and using the show to be able to do that. That's what we did when I was at Metadata. We used really two hosts to get thought leadership out there and cut those out and then brought in guests sporadically um, and did it that way. Again, there's no necessarily right or wrong. There's tons of really good interview podcasts out there. It's just for me, I think in order to use it in a way that's like, a super engine because part of the fear is you don't know, you can't always lead where the guest is going to go. And so if you've got a bad guest, it's like, dang, that show is bombed because the guest is bad. Whereas if it's just you, you can only blame you, which is a whole other story. But yeah, I've actually got an episode coming up that breaks down. Like if I were starting a content strategy, because I am start, I did start a content strategy in 23, what would I do? And it all stems off the podcast. Everything, like everything I have going forward is going to stem off the podcast. So newsletter, social content, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's all going to stem off that. So if I get the topic right at the top and I get that right and we have the right conversation or I have the right conversation um, on the show, everything else off of that is going to come off of it. And so the the message stays the same, the content resonates, it all fits. And then I just want to drip that out over the months. So then the same message gets hit in June, even though I recorded it in January. Oh, that's awesome. That's good. Let's talk about uh, email content. You have, you said you have a newsletter. How do you get people to sign up 
for that? Like, what's kind of your strategy for opt-ins? My main strategy. So I have two strategies. I have a what you would probably call a classic lead gen piece, which is just a distributions or like a repurposing ideas sort of worksheet that I have. And you can download it on my website, which is basically just taking one idea and breaking that out into 30 ideas. And so you can take one idea and get 30 in about 30 minutes if you're doing it right. So I have that. And then it's honestly just like content and then CTAs within content. So you like this piece of <laughs> this LinkedIn post I had? Hey, I talk about this stuff every Saturday. Uh, if you want to join in and, and check out the newsletter, I'm going to give you more in-depth strategies, more in-depth things, give you better playbooks than what I'm just sharing out on LinkedIn. And so that's how I've done it. It's very organic. I don't do anything paid. I don't do anything like I'm kind of like slow growing it at this point. But uh, the best ones too for newsletters are like or any piece of content in terms of like subscribership that I found is like preview posts. So like on Friday, it's, hey, here's a problem. Here's how I think about that problem. Tomorrow, I'm breaking this problem down in the newsletter. If you're interested in learning how to do that yourself, subscribe. And so that drives 10x the amount of subscribers that a typical one would. The key with that is not doing that every day. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't have an ask every day. I have an ask once. And so it's like that, that balance of like gives versus asks for your audience. What are some tools that people can use to take you know, some of the manual labor out of content creation, repurposing. Uh, I know you meant you mentioned you use Shield. I've seen on your LinkedIn something about Notion. I don't know what Notion does, but like how do your tools work together to help you repurpose stuff? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out my perfect mix. I, I wish there was a tool that could like do just what I want. And so now it's a little bit piecemeal and I've tried a bunch of different stuff. I think at the end of the day, it's like honestly my most like my best success comes when I have a blog post on one side of the screen and I have a blank Google Doc on the other side that I call a distribution doc. And I fill it out with the headlines of the blog post and I write out my content for those. And I say, these are my tweets and these are in it. You know, some people use spreadsheets. I just like the formatting of a, of a Google post. Like now you can go page list. Notion is very similar. It's just like a Notion's a little bit more advanced, but you know, same thing. You just do a blank page. And then from there, I might use like a tool like Buffer or a scheduling tool to go and start scheduling out that content to where my goal is to have like at least two to four weeks of content scheduled. And then I'm just good to go. And then I'll let's come in on maybe Sunday night or Monday morning and just refresh and make sure like, okay, do I feel like commenting on this? Is this like still like what I thought was valuable content? And sometimes like, oh, that post stinks. Like, I'm just going to ditch it. I don't feel like talking about <laughs> yeah. that today. Um, or you realize, oh, it's a little repetitive. I just had one similar to it. So, but I try to bulk load things. Like I try to bulk write. And, and, and I'm in writing mode. I'm going to repurpose this week's newsletter. I like right before this call, wrote the newsletter and started breaking up that content immediately because the newsletter content was fresh. And so it was like, okay, this content, I'm going to start breaking that down. And I know ahead of time, because I'm thinking about this stuff in a distribution first mindset, I know I need a Twitter thread. I need individual tweets and I need LinkedIn posts. And so I just start there and I go from there and I say, okay, here's the, okay, what tweets would be good out of this? What, what are the solid LinkedIn posts? Okay, I need a little bit more. Okay, I can do a Twitter thread that literally just uses the bulk of the post and formats in a different way. And then, you know, by the end of the day, I'll have probably 10 pieces of content that can come off of that and ready to be distributed. I do that every week. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, bulk creating is, I think the most stressful way to do content creation is like day by day, worrying about what you're gonna post. You know, the, the, the moment I discovered, I mean, I always knew that there was social media scheduling, you know, for a long time, but 
when I actually started to use it and I'm like, holy crap, I just scheduled out a month's worth of, of posts. I feel so free. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. Even with this podcast, like I'll edit the show. I'll go for a walk around my neighborhood and just quality control it, make, make sure, we're, you know, everything's there's no random noises or whatever. Um, but then as I'm walking, I'm writing down like, oh, that's a breakout snippet. That's a breakout mm-hmm. one. That's a breakout one. So by the time I get back to my house, I've got like 10 ideas and then I just go cut those all out, toss them up. I use Seemly, which for me has been really great because it, it kind of takes some of the guesswork out of when to post content and it, it kind of takes into account when your followers are most active. And Yeah, I, pl- I played takes- with that for a little bit. It's cool. I'm, I've been trying a lot of different scheduling tools and they're all relatively the same, but some have more advantages than others but i like seemly so far just just for being able to um just cue something up let it figure out when it wants to drip stuff out based on your specific audience and and you know working around posts that are already out there you know getting reach not not sort of like overstepping and you know posting two things at the same time whatever and i I think that's the thing too is like coming up with uh and this is what i'm starting to build out with clients and build out with other folks too is building out a custom framework for you so your channels your posting schedule what do you want how do you want to do this and then every week you know like my main piece of content is this podcast or is this newsletter or is this blog post from there i need to be able to share it on this channel this channel this channel okay so mondays i write tuesdays i edit wednesdays i cut we're good to go and then next week mondays i write so like you try to come up with a a bit or record edit whatever it is depending on the type of content but come up with some sort of schedule to where it becomes regular and becomes a cadence for you and your team especially if you're a one-person marketing team the better cadences you can be on um like you said you've got a routine for how you edit your show you record it you go on your walk you do your clips that way like you've got it sort of figured out for you what works yeah selfishly i'm curious how twitter is working out for you because i was on twitter back when it first kind of came out like 2009 i was working at this big nonprofit doing homeless outreach and we would share a lot of kind of stories and stuff from you know people that we were encountering on the streets and i did a lot of posting what i had for lunch that day too you know back when that was real cool (laughs) Um, but i haven't been on there in like a decade and honestly i've tried to log into my old twitter account there's this really dumb like profile picture of me that's like if you search my name it's like me laughing and i have like a faux hawk or something like that and like and like big plugs in my ears and and i can't get into my twitter account to (laughs) to take that down old job (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the old John. Way cool. I was 10 years cooler, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um how's Twitter working out for you? How do, how do you see that content kind of move through the the digital world in a different way than maybe LinkedIn does or I have not cracked it. I I used to do Twitter massively, so I used to do like sports like NFL writing a decade ago as a hobby. That's what I did. And so I grew like a pretty good following doing that. And I was like on Twitter all the time, like talking sports, doing all that type of stuff. Now I'm making the pivot to like talk about marketing. And there are people who'd like absolutely crush at this. Like like it it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, where it's like, I need to know what the most important things are for me to do now. And Twitter is like, 10th on the list, maybe 20th on the list in terms of like important. So I'll post, but I'm not like actively putting effort into growing that channel in a way even I probably could because it takes time and effort and energy to be on there and respond to other people. It's no different with LinkedIn, but like that's maybe the overarching probably good thing to end end on too is like 
you can't just post and ghost anymore. You know, repurpose all the stuff and just post it and then, you know, move on with your life and never interact on those channels. That doesn't work. You have to be able to interact with the people that are on those channels and have conversations and it's social media and it's becoming more and more social media again in terms of like, you can't just post, you can't just expect to get a you know bunch of followers or, or, or you know, if you, oh, if I post this really good stuff, like, no, you have to be active, you have to engage and you have to be able to, to do that. And I, like, admittedly, I'm not spending time, effort and energy on Twitter right now to grow those, but I see people who absolutely are killing it doing that. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of chicken and egg with that. Yeah. The only time I'm on Twitter anymore is once a year on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, and it started when um, Mariah Carey in 2016, like, do you remember this where she was like went on stage and she couldn't sing any of her, she couldn't like remember any of the lyrics to her song. No, I she couldn't hear that. herself. <laughs> oh my gosh, you got to look it up. It was the best. And I <laughs> feel so honored that I, that I witnessed it live. Being my, being my not in person, but like on live TV. And it was just the tweets that came out after that were hilarious. It just so, so, so funny. And so now every every New Year's Eve, my wife and I just get on the hashtag, whatever the New Year's Eve hashtag is, oh, and just funny. watch people just like tear apart the, <laughs> these people that are just trying their best up there, you know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Justin, thanks for coming on, man. So I, you do have the the content repurposing roadmap is that a paid thing or, or yeah yeah so content repurposing roadmap is a course video course i i made it's got 12 videos in it, it takes you probably if you were to watch it straight through right about an hour maybe a little less depending if you you 2x the speed on it basically walks you through different frameworks that i use talks about the distribution documents shows you how to do that for blog posts walks you through really the mindset shifts that i talked about here on the show and then gives it like concrete examples about how I've done this in past at different companies. So that that's like very self-service DIY. If you're interested in trying to figure out how to do this, that's a great, great resource. And you can just find that at contentrepurposingroadmap.com. Cool. Um, where can people sign up for your newsletter at if they were interested in that? Yeah, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, you can go to justinsimon.co and there'll be a little newsletter tab right at the top. You can sign up there and those drop every single Saturday morning at 8.15 every every single week. So yeah, definitely uh, would be happy to have folks uh, join me over there. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First and thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.